Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Giles Aniam from Gunnerstown. Gents, what a European night for the Gunners. Indeed it was, indeed it was. I mean, I think we all kind of were expecting a, uh, uh, you know, us to go through. I thought it had been a bit more of a scrape, but um, yeah, he brought out all the big guns, as you said before, um, in, the, in the adverts and um, got the job done. Uh, good performances all around, I think, Maitland Niles coming in of age yeah. night would you say Dave he was very very good actually yeah. we'll talk about him later he was yeah. definitely good but I think the clincher was the the lifting of the or the reducing of the ban for Lacassette yeah. I think that made the decision for him because it worked so well against Man, against Man United and we were saying on the show last week I and mean, Charlie was even saying maybe he wanted to try Niketi up there just to see if he could keep the shape mm-hmm. and then obviously he didn't have to so uh, he was able to play a very similar lineup. it's just interesting well, as you said in the intro, whether he set a template now, whether because he has been willing to adapt formations, you know, for different opposition, which I think we've all wanted to see for years at Arsenal, <laughs> and now we want our cake and eat it. Because now I'm thinking he's got this great formation; <laughs> it's really exciting. Let's stick with it for the rest of the season. But I don't know. I don't think he will. No, I, I don't think, think he will either. Go, but game by game, as well, he always if has he done. does stick with it, one thing we were discussing last week was that part of why he might have been so successful with it against United was because nobody expected it. Yeah, we true. spoke to Charles Watts of Football London. He said no. Nobody called it. You couldn't see Solskjaer calling it. And if you lose that surprise factor, perhaps people won't be caught off guard in the same way and you won't have the same kind of success. Absolutely. Unless you've got the players like um, Pep Guardiola who's got, doesn't matter what formation he plays, he's got, he's got a different level of players. But you've seen Sari struggle. You've seen Marine. So, you know, every other club struggle. You know, if you're if you become predictable, I think um, I think I've, I heard that even the players don't know until the Friday or something like that of the game. You know, so he keeps everyone guessing, and um, long may it continue. I mean, you just want to see. We've always, as Dave said, we've always wanted to see tactical flexibility, and that's what we see. I think some people might find it hard to to stomach or swallow or to understand, um, but I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think even on that on the day, it wasn't only a case of not calling the lineup. It was not calling the lineup, even having seen the eleven, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. because we've seen Lacazette and Aubameyang play together lots, but not as dual strikers. So I don't think I was thinking it was four two three one with a Bamiyang out wide again. That's what I thought when I saw the eleven. Um, so yeah, he took everyone by surprise. Yeah. But it was against against Ren. He had to be brave. He had to go for it. So I don't I don't think that was a surprise. Um, but it's going to be interesting moving forward because two players who have been in form have been Awobi and Mkhitaryan of late, and they suddenly they they probably thought well wish you in to play and suddenly hmm, not so mm. sure now uh, mm. in fact uh, well I know Mkhitaryan's been carrying a knot but Iwobi has come off the bench the last two games when he's pretty much been one of the first names on the team sheet for Emery not for all the fans necessarily but yeah no interesting times it's a very impressive system. I mean, as you say, it was against Wren. Firstly, he had to attack. Secondly, perhaps not as strong a calibre of opposition as Arsenal will face in the rest of the Premier League. But it does seem to click quite nicely. You're playing your three biggest attacking stars. They seem to love playing together, particularly Aubameyang and Lacazette up front. Given the choice for Arsenal's next game, say against Newcastle in a couple of weeks' time, 
would your preferred Arsenal lineup feature all three of those with a straightforward front two? I'd, I'll be honest with you, Johnny, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it in Emery's hands, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fully paid up member of the Emery fan club. You know, um, I trust in what he's doing. As you know, I, you know, I'm just. I don't really care. I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I don't really, nowadays. I don't even talk about the formations before game because, as Dave said, you can't call it. You, no. you just see eleven names. You don't know how it's going to. You don't know how it's going to turn up on the field. I, I do. I do think. Talk. I do think what's very compelling for him though is the form of Maitland Niles and mm-hmm. and uh, Kalazanaka's wing backs. I think he because there's different ways he can play three at the back as we've seen. Mm. You know, um, and it doesn't have to be with two strikers, but I think the three at the back may be here to stay for a while now because I think Kalazinak going forward is such a weapon. Maitland Niles is finally, you know, coming to the party because you know it's tough. You know, being thrown into that position when it's not your natural position. He's now said, and I'm going to talk about this over the length of the show, I think, because he's pretty much come out and said he's had a chat with Emery, and uh, he sees that now as he's right back or right wing back. He's, he, he's comfortable there. He, he wants to show he can do it, and he's even said, I look forward to vying with uh, Hector when he gets fit. So, fighting talk. Yeah, so, but- I, think that's, I think that's here to stay. Bold words. In terms of playing three centre-halves, I think we're all agreed that the wing-backs have been very impressive. But centre-half has been a problem for Arsenal a long time. If you look at the current squad there, there's problems both in terms of the guys who start and certainly in terms of depth. Monreal can play on the left of a three, but that's not really his strongest position. If a back three does become something that Arsenal use more often, would you two be hoping for some kind of transfer activity, bringing in one, maybe even two centre-halves? I'd just like to say... He's, if you look at the amount of games he's played and how many times he's played a back four and back three, he's played the back three about one, about a quarter of times. But know, if yeah. it becomes so more popular, but, it, it, but a lot of late, yeah, a lot of late because of certain factors, I suppose. But I don't think it's. I'm not sure it's going to be the go-to or even fifty percent of the time. You know. Um, but having said that, um, we don't know. You, we, there's, we don't know if Cachione is going to be around next season, so that's a situation we've got to resolve. Mustafi is assailable. When we've been through this, you know. <laughs> no, I think Holding and Socrates will be here yeah. as linchpins in the squad Maverick next Panis, season. We don't, we we don't know about Matt, but in answer to your question, yes, I think we're going to sign a centre back in the summer. I think we'll be signing a big, you know, go-to centre back to compete with Socrates and Holding. And there has been, I mean, I don't know if you saw it yesterday or the day before, but there's rumours about Samuel Mtiti at Barcelona. Well, I was going to bring this up. You used the word big there, Dave, a big centre-back, a big defensive name. Mtiti, do you think that's a realistic target for the club? Right. So here's my take. I don't know about your take, Dave, but here's my take. Fully fit Mtiti is one of the best defenders in the world. Absolutely. No, No question about it. He has persistent injury problems this season. He's missed a large chunk. He had chunk. quite a lot at Lyon as well. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't new, yeah. the MTT yeah. injury crisis. Knees. Knee. His yeah. knee's got loose cartilages in his, knee, in his knee. He's refused, he and the club have refused to have surgery, have declined to have surgery. They've gone for conservative treatment on two occasions. He's missed nearly 30 games this season. He c- it could be cleared up with surgery, but they chose to go against it. Now, apparently, with Barcelona needing wanting to buy a delict, they might need to raise some funds. And apparently, there's talk that maybe it could be Untiti who could be the full guy. I don't know. But if the if, third if, member if, of our panel is not here, is the source of the apparently odds. <laughs> <laughs> but if, Charlie, if, where are you? If delict is available, a, a lot of conversation about Arsenal this week has been about ambition, which is something we'll come to later in the show in terms of appointing a new director of football. With that in mind, and the club performing so well on the pitch, got this bright young manager who I think I, as you, Giles, really believe mm. in. 
in terms of that ambition, is it not time to say, well, listen, if the most highly rated centre-half in Europe is available, shouldn't Arsenal be going in for him? How are you going to convince him? I mean, there's no guarantee we're going to get top four. If we don't get top four this season, you're asking a kid, a guy who's at the, who's, who's, whose trajectory is upward, to come and play in the Europa League when he doesn't really need to. All the offers will be Champions League clubs. Champions League clubs are vying to be in the latter stages, if not win the competition. So... You know how are we gonna how we how would we bridge that? I don't know. Well, I'm not saying Arsenal would get him, but mm. would you not like to see the club try? Well, they we don't know that they aren't going to. But uh, I think I think also you've always wanted Koulibaly is the player that you've always yeah Koulibaly. I mean, again, that's another one that's just out of the range for me. But you know, look, Umtiti, would I have him? I would have him. Would I have him if he's not fully fit? I don't know. Question is, I mean. <laughs> When Man City went out and spent fifty million pounds on Emmerich Laporte, did the world go wow? The world went, hmm, raised eyebrow. We've heard he's quite good, this kid, but that's a lot of money. Was, he is he, one of the he is one of the best centre backs in the Premier League. And he did have an injury as well. He yeah, would, so, and Gundogan had an injury. So, but I think so, I think Man, Man City have the ability to do that kind of thing. You know, well, you say that, but you had their captain of the captains completely crocked. Mm-hmm. You had <laughs> Stones, who's always crocked. You had Otamendi at the time, and the other. Complete failure they bought for Mangala. Yeah, Mangala. So yeah. when it, they needed it, they needed someone who was going to be fully fit. It was a gamble. I wasn't really talking about the fitness thing. I was talking about the fact that you know I personally had not tracked his career. I didn't go, wow, that's another big Man City signing. You know, mm. when Mendy, everyone knew was the best. You know, one of the best fullbacks. Mm. Laporte, I didn't. So you don't have to go out for you the name that everyone yeah. thinks is the biggest that's name, true. Johnny. To be that's fair, you, this is where well, we're going to come on to it, but this is where the scouting comes into it. Yeah. <laughs> and who will Arsenal get? <laughs> well, lots to touch on later in the show. And coming up, what is going to happen to Mkhitaryan and Awobi if Emery sticks with this two up top? Two of Arsenal's four men really could be out in the cold. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. And the big talking point is, of course, that wonderful win against Wren and the system that Unai Emery used. Really, really impressive in that 3-5-2. But it doesn't really leave space for the club's wide players, the likes of Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, in the starting lineup. Gents, if, if you were to be picking the team, would you be willing to sacrifice two of the form players in Mkhitaryan and Iwobi for a better performing whole 11? Oh, I don't think Ozil's a shoe-in to play the next few games. At all? No, no. I mean, I think I think Ozil will be used in rotation with Iwobi and maybe Mkhitaryan if he sticks with his formation. If he goes back to a 4-2-3-1, maybe Ozil. But I think Mkhitaryan and Iwobi have got to the point where they're certainly in the same conversation and Ozil has not been a go-to player for Emery all season. I don't know why we would assume he suddenly is just because he's played two or three games. In terms of that 3-5-2 though, it does require whoever operates in that role behind the two to be perhaps more central. It is a free role, but you're not a winger. Do you see Alex Iwobi as being perhaps technically good enough to play as a 10? Um... I thought that was his position when he first broke yeah. into the side. He was um, playing in the cup games instead of Ozil in that position. I, I, I suppose so. I suppose so. What, what was really interesting for me was that I was expecting Ramsey to play the 10 and he played really well in the midfield. Mm. So that's given that's given uh, Emery more options. He doesn't just have to go to Torreira and Jack. He can now, he can rest Gendouzi. Gendu- Which he is, definitely, yeah, yeah. He needs to, you know. And he can play um, Ramsey in the midfield as well. Again, going back to your point, um, it will be yeah. Certain games, his ability to carry the ball in central areas could come in handy. Um, 
But I, again, I'm not sure we're going to stick with a three-five-two. To be honest with you, I don't know. Do you think if if Awobi were to operate in that particular position in that system, do you think his vision's good enough? No, because I think Mkhitaryan's vision's much better. Because this yeah. is the point, right? I think the benefit of playing a system with two strikers, one of whom is very very quick, the other who is quite quick both of whom's movement is excellent, is to play someone in that little hole behind them who is going to pick those runs out. Iwobi's been very impressive, but carrying the ball, as you yeah, point out, yeah. Giles, rather than picking out other people. No, I think you're right. I think Iwobi is the go-to player um, on the left well, you know, within a different formation. But as I said, we've, we've, played, um, we've played a 3-4-2-1 more than we've played this new formation. And in the, in the two, you can have Iwobi and Mkhitaryan with Ozil, or you can have Iwobi and Mkhitaryan. So, you know, where it's a two behind one striker, that's when they'll play, which is what we've played more than we've played this. We've only played this for two games. Now, it works, and it's very exciting having both strikers on the pitch, but I think Giles is right. Uh, there will be games where he'll be brought much more pragmatic. We've got some very tough away games coming up. He's not going to go gung-ho away at Watford or Wolves or Leicester, for example. There is, of course, another question with the 3-5-2, which is, at the moment, because of the injury to Welbeck, the club actually effectively only have two fit senior strikers in the form of Aubameyang and Lacazette. And Ketia looks good, but he's not ready to start Premier League games. So if he were to stick with it, he's only one injury away from leaving himself pretty short. And that could be a reason why he doesn't stick with it. Yeah, he might just use that in Europe. Yeah. You know, you know, certainly get him in. You know, in certain he's, games, he's going to have to think this one through really logically. Well, um, what is nice though is all the players are now in form. Yeah. So he's he's not leaving Awobi and Mkhitaryan out because they're not playing well. He's leaving them out because he's chosen to bring Ozil and Ramsey in and play a different formation. So we've got that flexibility. And they're now. all bought into it. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's really no. Important. I'm not playing. Yeah. Do you think Kurtzel's bought into it? Do you I think, think he's I, he's I, not I, got any? I don't game. think he's got a choice. Yeah. I, I, yeah. If he then, wants to play football. Yeah. Well, if he wants to play football at Arsenal, I mean, I think mm. it's very interesting that we are now undoubtedly at a point where despite being the club's highest paid player by distance, Ertzel, as you were pointing out, Dave, is nowhere near a shoe-in to start every game. With that in mind, do you see him leaving the Emirates in the summer and would you be sad to see him go? I don't see him leaving simply because he's too expensive. And he's refusing to. So. Yeah, he's refusing to. I, know, I think... There's some, you know, we don't know. There must have been some serious conversations between Emery and Ozil in the last six weeks. When you say serious conversations, do you mean constructive conversations? Yeah. No, I mean constructive. Yeah. yeah, Emery's obviously said, "Listen, you know, you are where you are by your own choice. You know, if you if you buy into my way, you're as much you've got as much chance of playing as anyone else because you are our most creative player. If you don't." You won't. It's that simple. I'm the boss here. You toe the line. If you want to work hard and drop back and, and work off the ball and do get into your positions when we haven't got the ball, all the stuff he expects of his players, of course you're going to play because you're, as you've said, you're our most creative player. You're the one with the vision. But that's the point, isn't it? That question of do you want to work hard? And if you look at um, Emery's tens at the likes of Sevilla, Ava Benega, who's an absolute bulldog in the midfield. Do you think Ertzel is ever going to be that kind of ten where no. he is willing to have a scrap? No, I'll tell you what was interesting. I don't know if you saw Wojciech Czesny's uh, uh, interview recently and he spoke about Mesut um, Ozil and he said he's the most creative player he's ever seen but he struggled to stabilise himself in the Premier League. That's where he's really struggled and he will struggle to be the kind of player that Emery wants him to be. I really do think he'll struggle to. I mean, I think I think Ozil has to make a personal decision here. He can be an integral part of this Arsenal squad, and he can help us win games, which he absolutely should be. But Mm. it won't be the first name on the team Mm. sheet. 
That's his decision. I'm not sure, and I think Giles is right, in the Premier League, I don't think there's a single side where he'd be anywhere near the first name of the team sheet. That's not to say he's not a brilliant player. And there may be other leagues that play more to, to his, his style, yeah. to his strengths, where he could be a team you know, a team that will be Leader. built around him. Mm. But it's not, it's not with Emery as manager. If you had the option of letting Ertzel go in the summer, would you take it? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, well, obviously, you, you know, you have to caveat with with, with, a with, who, with who's coming in. But I mean, I think the flexibility it would give the club. Yeah, I'd edge towards saying yes. When you say flexibility, you mean just financial more, more flexibility. money, yeah, more clout, you know, to spend. Not so much because you know, I don't think we get a big selling fee, but freeing up the wages mm-hmm. gives you a lot more flexibility mm-hmm. uh, than we have currently. So, but I don't. I think Giles is right. I don't think it's going to happen. No, at least one more year at the Emirates for Mr. Ertzel. Coming up, more analysis of that Wren victory and a certain mask from a certain striker. This is Love Sport. It is the Arsenal fan show here on Love Sport Radio and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was absolutely central to Arsenal's comeback against Rennes in the Europa League. Not only did he get the all-important early goal at home at the Emirates, he bagged a second late on to send the Gunners through and also he celebrated in a rather dynamic style, shall we say. He pulled a mask over his face. This was something he was known for at Dortmund, pulling a Spider-Man mask over his head when he scores goals. Well, He's moved with the times, moved with the Marvel Universe and updated it to Black Panther. What did you guys make of this? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's part of his personality. You know, he did it, as you said, he did it at Dortmund um, and it's just part of his personality. Obviously, it was premeditated. It was, it was obviously work. It premeditated. I think he had one at the Man United game as well. He had a mask in preparation uh, for when he scored at the Man United game. But it didn't come. did he score against Man United in the home yeah. game? Yeah, he scored the pen. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just wasn't. Maybe well, you can't uh, run over yeah, to yeah. dugout. Well, yeah, I don't know. But apparently, he had one in preparation for the Man United game. But he, um, you know, obviously this was premeditated. You know, he was definitely looking to score. Who handed it to him? No, he got it from behind the advertising hoarding. So oh, right, he's hidden it behind it, the gantry. Uh, yeah, I think the steward had actually assisted in putting it there or something like that. So when he did this, mm. Twitter exploded. Mm. So there was a combination of Arsenal fans going, I lo- as sort of like what you're saying, Giles, saying, I love that from Aubameyang, showing personality. And showing- Spurs fans saying. <laughs> well, not even just Spurs fans. You know, So the Arsenal fans are going, he's showing character, he's having mm. fun, mm. which is absolutely what we want to see from our mm. footballers. Other fans saying, this is silly, it's not what football's about, and also that it's arrogant because you're celebrating like the game is won, you're not taking the game seriously, and Arsenal defence has not been the surest shall we say do you take those criticisms or is it exactly what you want to see from your centre forward I don't know really <laughs> you're probably different from me though. you probably just want to see him score and run back a well, little hand wave I certainly I mean I'm not I'm not going to chastise him for mm. it but it doesn't excite me either mm. yeah. no, um, no he no. could have moonwalked yeah <laughs> probably, probably not <laughs> you know, the week I mean, for that to be honest I'd rather he did like an Henri one you know yeah. go and stand you know, with yeah. the, the corner flag yeah. to attention, like, yeah. look at me. He, he doesn't need the mask to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no one. Might have squashed his hair down a bit. So getting, mean, it's, getting f- a bit, it's getting a bit well, high any, at the moment. Anything that hides that hair yeah. has got to be yeah. a good thing. The only actually. thing is, obviously, you've got a yellow card, gets another one in the next, in the next round, first leg of the next round, um, it could be problematic. Potentially so, yeah. a little bit silly. One man who didn't start the game and therefore didn't get the same kind of attention as Aubameyang was Torreira, who 
when he arrived, we were all hailing as the midfield general that Arsenal have lacked really since the days of Gilberto, since Vieira. Finally, the club had the kind of defensive midfielder they really, really needed. He was central at the beginning of the season, but recently he's been out of the side. Why do you think that is? I really, I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing he thought that, that, that you know, he was he was a little bit tired. But then you look at Gwendouzi, was equally as tired and was being selected ahead of him. Um, I think what it does tell you, actually, and we have to uh, hats off to the man because Granite Shaka is go-to man in midfield right now, mm-hmm. uh, and it's which partner. I think with Torreira getting the ban, uh, as Giles was saying off air, it, it, it might do us a favour that he gets a little bit of a rest, a self-imposed you know a rest effect, and he might come back very very fresh. So hopefully, it's all good. But he's still he's still he's still a very very important player to our season. I think. With no that, question. With that domestic ban, did it not make it even more surprising that Emery didn't start Torreira against Wren? Because you're thinking, well, listen, I can't play him in the Premier League, therefore. Well, he started he started Ramsey and Xhaka against Man United. I think he yeah. just wanted to stick with a team yeah. that worked so well against so, Man yeah, United. Yeah. He's rewarding the players, yeah. I think, for saying, look, yeah. you, you went out and beat Man United. Yeah. So get us through this. More of well. the same, please. Yeah. More of the same. And, and it worked a treat, to be honest with you. It worked a treat, so... Do you yeah. think he got it right tactically? I mean, not just carrying on from such a good performance mm. against United, but because obviously the remit had to be to go out and score goals and also score goals early. Mm. Did he get it absolutely well, on the money? Absolutely. I think what was interesting was the fact that the Rens players were trying to slow the game down. They were, they were really being pinned. They were being really you know, fouling. When they were getting fouled, or you know, they were falling on the floor. There was a lot of... Um, Time wasted. Uh, yeah, and our players had to show a lot of pressure. I think, I think Lacazette, I think uh, Emery was really smart by taking off Lacazette because I think he was getting a bit worked up. I think they got under his skin a bit. But you know, it was it, it's not only the fact that he was tactically right. I think the players had to show a level of maturity, professionalism, because um, I think Rens were trying to influence the referee quite a lot in that game. Are you surprised that Wren didn't come out with a more positive game plan? I mean, the the ace in the hole for Arsenal was that solitary away goal. That was what gave them the hope. Wren could neutralise that and actually neutralise the Emirates crowd as well if they'd got an early goal. Should they have sort of had a bit more about them? The thing is, Johnny, up until um, Socrates got sent off, they weren't really at the race in the first game. I thought um, Monreal had um, Sire in his pocket up until we went down to 10 men. So I I wasn't expecting them to come to the Emirates and you know get an early goal. I thought they'd come and sit and tight and sort of like try and contain us. To be fair to them, they did create some chances. Mm. I mean, Czech made a couple of good yeah. saves. I mean, they weren't completely sitting and parking the bus. I mean, they, they, they've definitely got a bit about them. They've got some good players there. I mean, apparently we were having a, a conversation with SARS representative straight after the game at the Emirates, right. I, I heard. Mm. So we'd certainly oh. been linked with him before. Mm. I love that when managers try and do business at a match it's that old story about Ronaldo and Ferguson yeah. where in the Champions League he suddenly went ah and we're seeing on the screen Dave's just pointed out a certain relevant result for Arsenal well not a relevant injury Ospina. I was thinking this is something Ospina. that I, I was we were on air yesterday when this was happening and I, this is where football needs to take a lesson from rugby I mean, there's no way he should have carried on playing in that game. If that what was happened rugby, to him? He got concussed. I mean, right. they obviously they don't know he's definitely concussed, but crikey, he's got a bleeding head. He's all bandaged up, and he carried on, and then just collapsed in the second half. Well, I don't stretch it off. I don't know the regulations in Serie A. The way it now works in the Premier League is if you hit your head yeah, remotely yeah. hard, the the policy yeah. is you have to have a concussion test straight yeah. away. We well, saw you, that with you Lukaku. Just have to, <laughs> you just have to be sensible and be cautious. Mm. You know, it's people's health here. It's mm. not it's not going to winning a game. Mm. And, you know, nobody wants to see that. No. That was awful. Yeah. 
he's going to have a few days off, not play for Colombia in the international break, which well, yeah, is probably what he needs. Any concussion-related um, head injury is a, is a seven-day minimum. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. I tell you what, I bet the first, I bet the first text he got after the game is from Petr Cech. Guaranteed. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. On, on Petr Cech, he's quite an interesting question for Arsenal at the moment because he played very, very well in the first leg against Ren, as you were pointing out, Dave. He performed well again in the second leg, but we've had particularly from Charlie, who's not here this evening suggestions throughout these shows that actually some of us would like to see Czech drop for the Europa League because we're getting to the business end of the season business end of the tournament Bent Leno is very impressive and you'd want your best keeper to play with that in mind do you start Petr Cech against Napoli yeah I think he's going to stick with he's going to stick with Czech is that a question of respect for a man who's had a great career and is retiring at the end of the and season? has done nothing wrong in the games he's been called on in the Europa League. He's kept us in games. And well, he's he kept, kept us in this leg. Yeah. I mean, we, we, it could have been more than 3-1, let's face it. It could have been 5 or 6. Yeah. I mean, we had 10 men. I mean, he made some very, very good saves. He, where he falls down against Leno is his distribution. Everything else, he's on par. Well, he's better than, he's better yeah. than claiming crosses. Yeah, well. you know, still a great shot stopper, still very agile. It's just his distribution, which is which is markedly uh, inferior to to Leno. So I think he's a really good second choice keeper, and I have no problem him starting against Napoli. Well, he of course started the season as first choice. It took him to get injured for Leno to really get a look in in the first mm. team. Do you think his performances in the Europa League have been good enough to warrant Emery perhaps considering a switch of first choice for the Premier League? No, no way. Leno's no, no. really come into his own recently. He's really come into his own. I mean, it's not unusual, let's face yeah. it. I mean, although yeah. Pep actually did go back to his number one for mm. the uh, League Cup final, didn't he? Yeah. Having I mean, played but, the, look, yeah. uses Romero as number two in the Cup games, doesn't yeah. he? I mean, but whether he not... would when he gets to the final, that's the other question. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, no, yeah. uh, uh, I think when they got to the Europa League final, I yeah. think he still played. Oh, then, yeah, yeah. That's a different manager. No, yeah. I'm saying yeah. now Pep Guardiola changed mm. his keeper for the League Cup final. Yeah. You know, he, he right. went back to Edison for the cup final, having yeah. played, um, not, Ca- not Caballero, whoever the second choice, I can't yeah. think of his name, but yeah. yeah, he played the second choice the whole campaign and then mm. went to the main choice in the final. So it's possible. Mm. It's possible. And if Arsenal found themselves in a Europa League final and that was going to be crucial for Champions League qualification because of league form, would you still stick with Petr Cech, given the send-off he deserves? <sighs> Again, I, I think would... once we won the game, bring him on for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> So you'd, <laughs> so you'd start Leno and then let him do a John Terry? I actually probably would start Leno, to be honest. I, I would, if we got to the final, I think Pro- it's, hard, it's a hard over. call with pragmatism. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I don't mind. I mean, I, th- I think he'd stick with Czech, but I, if he brings in Leno for the final, if we get to the final, more's the better. Yeah, if yeah. we get to the final, yeah. that would be enough. Well, not quite enough. Well, we but... certainly got, we've certainly got a tougher... A tougher route to the final than Chelsea. Tough, yeah, it's a, it's a real tough. I mean, one. Valencia are doing really well this season. They've got better and better. That's a local derby, isn't it? The, the other tie, isn't it? Um, I think the Arsenal fans would like to see us play Villarreal if yeah. we can get past Napoli for the yeah. Santi reunion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That. But yeah, and um, we've got happy memories of Villarreal yeah. in the semi-finals as well. And Napoli are probably the best team we've all facing in in the Europa League. I mean, yeah, they they look quite impressive. Even having drawn Arsenal, you would say they are the favourites. More about Arsenal's draw in the Europa League in just a moment. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the Arsenal Fan Show on Love Sport Radio and there is incredulity in the studio, <laughs> Giles Anian, because you've just pointed out that France Football, a very well-respected French football magazine, have just published their 
50 top managers in European football of all time. There's some interesting placements and certain names who don't make the top 50 at all. Yeah, um, case in point being uh, Arsene Wenger is nowhere to be seen. Are you sure he wasn't the judge of it? He was just too <laughs> modest to put himself in. <laughs> um, yeah, Herbert Chapman makes it at number 24 in the charts. Number one is Renus Mikkels. Alex Ferguson's number two. Arrigo Sarkin, number three. Cruyff, number four. Guardiola, number five. And Lobanovsky, number six. That's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it goes down to, you've got Bob Plazy, number 26. You've got Zinedine, Zidane, who's number 22. You've got, I saw uh, Matt Busby's number 11. But yeah, no... They've no got, Wenger. they have got Wenger in there. He just squeaks in at thirty-two, which I think is pretty uh, hard. Oh yeah, that's does, that yeah. sandwich. Child. That's that that's sim- <laughs> no, it's still very interesting. That's sandwich in between Diego Simeone and Vicente del Bosque, just in front of Jock Stein, well, you, well yeah, behind you know, yeah, Zinedine how, Zidane. You know what it's based on. It's based on whether you've succeeded outside of a league, isn't it? I mean, he's not succeeded anywhere in Europe. You know, Bob Paisley's mm. won if, two if European at... Cups. Alex Ferguson won two European Cups because they're ahead of him. They've won in Europe. They've but taken a team and beaten the best of did, the continent. Yeah, but Jot Steen, didn't he win something with Celtic? Yeah. Where he's below Arsene Wenger. Yeah, but when there was... When there was... It was just... A, you, you played four games, basically. You played five games to win it. It was just a top team in each league in 1967. But, I mean... T- so t- you're not playing... 10 games to get there. Take the Zinedine mm. Zidane example, right? In at number 22. I take your point about conquering Europe. He mm. did that three times on yeah. the spin. He's had three seasons as a manager. But equally, he's only had three seasons as a manager. He came in and took charge of one of the finest footballing sides there's ever been with Cristiano Ronaldo up front. Is that kind of so uh, trophies and silverware automatically superior to the kind of dynasty work that Wenger was doing, building a team up from relatively small foundations in terms of a Real Madrid, bringing through players like Henri, like Vieira. Does that not require and deserve even a little more respect from? No, just I'm not. 32? I'm not. I'm not saying. It. I'm saying that's probably the logic. They're obviously saying, "What have you won?" Klops, whoever, whoever, Klops it doesn't say who's 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 voted. Well, the thing is, okay. So what, what, three French journalists. There's, there's, certain people, <laughs> there's certain people that are going to be happy, who are going to um, advocate or, or trumpet uh, Herbert Chapman being ahead of Arsene Wenger, obviously because he was a pioneer. Yeah. Um, but you, you do. I do wonder. But why Wenger was a pioneer in yeah. some respects. If you look at the sports science, mm-hmm. the nutrition, mm-hmm. all of that, Wenger brought a lot of things mm-hmm. to modern football which weren't there before. No, he gave, he brought a lot of things to English football that weren't there before. Okay, they were there in France and Japan and Germany. Well, you know. he he did take a lot of it from Japan, but actually he did still reinvent one of the most significant footballing cultures in the world. Mm. Question. Mm. No, I mean, I you know, of course, I think he should be higher, but I'm just guessing that if you look at the people who have finished above him, they probably all won European trophies. Yeah, there are some, there are many who have obviously, some who haven't. Klopp is in at 27th, and you think actually, what's Klopp won? <laughs> he's lost a few <laughs> European finals, yeah, but actually, if we're talking about call, people actually, who yeah. just missed, he's got to a few European finals. Well, yeah, he, but exactly. I mean, he's he's lost to Champions League yeah. and a Europa League, and Wenger's lost to Champions League. I mean, oh, he's lost more than one and, Champions and, League and the Europa League. Yeah, he's, and he's got to the G- you got to the Champions League final with Dortmund as well. Ah, oh, true. I, I forgot that Liverpool got there last year, bizarrely. And yeah, least said about Carrius, the better. Talking of European competition, Arsenal's run to the Europa League final, should they get beyond their next opponents, 
isn't particularly generous, particularly when compared to Chelsea. So Chelsea in this round have got Slavia Prague and then they'll take on the winner of Eintracht Frankfurt versus Benfica. That should they progress. Arsenal, meanwhile, have Napoli, one of the most frightening teams in Europe, comfortably a Champions League side, and then potentially the winner of Villarreal versus Valencia. Would you rather have the tougher draw? Would you take the philosophy of, well, listen, if you're going to win this kind of competition, you've got to beat top sides. Let's have them early. Or would you rather have a nice, sophisticated away trip to Prague with cheap beer and an easier <laughs> round? You've got to beat who they put in front of you. Um, Napoli are probably the best team in left in the competition. But I don't think they're so good that we've got to be, we're going to be frightened of them. I think we respect them. Um, good being home second as well. Yeah, you know. Um, and I don't know if they travel well in England. Did they beat we beat them. Yeah. We beat them with Arteta and yeah. Flamini central midfield yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. So you know, I think we've got to keep it tight over there. Liverpool came a cropper over there. Well, that's in the, the thing. Champions League. And the atmosphere yeah. in Naples is incredible. It's one of well, the best atmospheres in Europe. And Arsenal's away form yeah. is really quite yeah. poor. And talking about atmosphere, I mean, Charlie's not going over there. He didn't like it last time. I mean, a lot of Arsenal fans have said that they're not. He's wavering on that already, yeah. Dan. But so when you say they, this is very interesting. Mm. When you say they didn't like it, what didn't they like about whole, it? Was it a bit much for experience? The whole experience, police, police, yeah, the aggro. You, you know, know. The certain places you can't go, being bust into the ground just for the game, being bust out of the ground. You know, it's just that you can't enjoy the experience of the away trip. But this is precisely part of it, right? Whether or not that's fair, that will lead perhaps to fewer Arsenal fans going. It might lead to the atmosphere from the Arsenal fans being a little bit diminished. If you oh, we'll are sell out. We'll sell out our allocation. But even if you sell out your allocation, if you're worried about police activity, if you're worried about buses in, buses out, you might not be as boisterous as you otherwise would have been. That'll just play into the difficulty of that away leg, won't it? Um, could do. Um it might do, but I've, as, as Dave says, we've got one of the best set of away fans in football, and um, whoever goes out there would definitely be voicing their, you know, we we'll be shouting loud and proud. I think for me, the most important thing is we keep it tight on the pitch. Um, we can't let. We'll definitely play yeah. three at the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, would he play two up top? No, probably not. I don't know what he's going to play. <laughs> <laughs> what he's going to play? But you know, the way they play, they like to. to draw you in with um, short passes down in the middle then get you down the sides and then coming through the side through the wings they're very quick they're very intelligent um, Carlos Angelotti's sort of like hasn't missed really missed a step having taken over from Has Sarri Has he just carried on with this 4-3-3? I, th I think so yeah he hasn't really missed a step he's just sort of like let them he hasn't changed too much too So it's Insigne Dries Mertens and the uh, guy Cal Calahan. the guy who failed at Real Madrid Calahan. Calahan, Calahan. Yeah. It's, it's a little and, bit more dynamic than it was under Sarri so where we've seen Sarri ball at Chelsea lots more sideways passing it's a little more direct a little more about playing Mertens and Insigne in behind mm. but it's the same base philosophy mm. one thing that Arsenal's defenders are going to have to do is be a lot more disciplined than they were in Wren now I'm oh, not yeah. just talking about red cards I'm talking about the threat of set pieces mm. so they're very very good delivering oh, into yeah. a certain Mr Cooley Bar Mm. who we had covered earlier in the mm. show but also there was a clip doing the rounds on social media earlier this week of Lorenzo Insigne taking free kicks in training and it wasn't as far as I could tell edited it was sort of 10 in a row and they all went in the top corner mm. so silly fouls on the edge of the box could prove very very costly for the Arsenal back line don't go anywhere because coming up we'll be chatting to James Bench from Football.London. We'll be getting his take on the Wren win, a potential new formation and could it be redemption for Meza Terzil? This is Love Sport.
You are listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dave Seeger and Giles Aniam from Gunnerstown. And we're also joined on the line by James Benj of Football.London. Good evening, James. Thanks very much for joining us. What did you make of Emery's tactical setup against Wren? Did he get it right? Um, yeah, I, I thought he got it spot on. I've been really impressed with um, how this formation worked and how he's almost got the best out of four players that you kind of have always seen as being quite difficult to merge together. I mean, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Ozil and Ramsey. I mean, particularly the, the last three there, they're all quite unique players with, with quite specialised skill sets. And I think kind of it's been difficult for both Wenger and... Um, Emery to, to work out a system that really works for all of them, but I think this sort of three four one two seems to be working really well at the moment. And I, and I think if you look at the results, it's uh, it's brought a bit of defensive solidity and it's really good to watch an attack. James, you've cited Aaron Ramsey as a unique player there. I think we'd all agree with that. How important is he for Emery's system, or systems rather? And do you think he's replaceable in kind? Obviously the club could bring in another impressive central midfielder, but because he is very much himself, can what he does be replicated by another player? Um, Not really, certainly not cheaply. I mean, on his day you're talking about a midfielder that's sort of in that Frank Lampard tier, but I don't really think Arsenal want to replace him with, with, with someone like that. If you look at the the midfielders Arsenal brought in, you're talking Matteo Guendouzi and, and Lucas Torreira. They're a bit more defensively minded. And I think the challenge is if you've got someone like Ramsey in your squad, you're best off trying to make the most of him. But actually, he brings just a sort of another headache that Emery has to work out when he's sorting out his team. So I don't really think he's someone you, you should look to replace. Just sort of make the most of him while he's there. I just think he's you. I mean, it's David James. I think he's just... Ramsey's shown in the last two games something that he hasn't shown often enough in that position. You know, he has he was shown a lot of discipline. Mm. You know, he's sacrificing his you know attacking instincts instincts for the good of the side. If he'd done that all the time, then maybe yeah. he would still be in the manager's plans. That's why I think he isn't. That's not to say he's not a great player. And I think also it's fortuitous because obviously we've got Torreira's ban and and Guendouzi's obviously running on empty because he's been played far too much so he's still our player we're still paying his wages so I'm all for using him but I, I agree with you he's, he's not he's not the sort of player that Emery's going to build a team around going forward I don't think yeah spot on 100% he's I think you know kind of Juventus really hit the nail on the head when they signed him and they said he's a player that you have to play in a 4-3-3 and if you look at the rest of that Arsenal team you can't really fit Aubameyang and Lacazette into one team in a 4-3-3, you can't really fit Ozil in anywhere in, in that sort of system. So you've basically got a lot of players that all, if you want to get the most out of them, they have to be played in different formations. I think Emery's done really well to, to make it work in this 3-4-1-2, but as you pointed out there, Ramsey is probably the one that's had to sacrifice the most to get it to work. Hi James, Giles here mate. Um, tell me about your conversation with Ainsley Maitland-Niles this week. I mean, um, he's he seems to be finally sort of finding his feet within Emery's system. Um, or this current system, at this least. This current system, at least. And he's ready for the challenge of taking on that right-back, right-wing-back role and even ready to face up to Hector Bellerin when he comes back. I mean, what, what, what have you seen that's changed in him in this, recent, in this recent few weeks? Yeah, I think there's a real maturity and, and composure to him. I mean, I only spoke to him quite briefly, but... 
he just comes across as someone that, that that really is starting to get what Unai Emery's expecting of him. And I think kind of when he was playing this role with Arsene Wenger and he was filling in at left back, a lot of it was kind of quite disorganised and a little bit chaotic in terms of defence. So, you know, it wasn't there wasn't always that much he needed to learn, whereas Emery's very particular in what he wants from his, from his wing backs, both kind of going forward and going back. And I think that Maitland-Niles would probably say it took him a little while to get used to that and particularly having broken his leg early in the season he didn't have a great uh, run-up at it but I think as you say he's another person that he's playing in the right formation he'll always find it a bit tougher in the back four but he's perfectly suited as a right wing back I think he obviously would love to be a central midfielder for Arsenal one day but he also it seems to me smart enough to realise that his best way of establishing himself in this squad is to basically be the utility man, the guy that you put on the bench because he can play central midfield, he can play either fullback position and, and he's a really versatile player and that's just what you want in the squad even if he might never be a, a week in, week out starter, although if you keep playing like this, I mean Bellerin's at least got a, a rival which is what Arsenal have been after for years. Well with that Maitland-Niles is obviously up for a scrap with Bellerin and more power to him but can you realistically see him ever actually ousting the Spaniard as the first choice wing back for the club? No um, I mean, Bellerin, you know, kind of this season, he's really been getting back to that, or he re- until the injury, he was really getting back to that level that, that, that kind of made him, you know, I'd have said one of the best fullbacks in the world. I think, you know, on the basis of performances this season, I'd say you've got Aaron Wambasaka, Kyle Walker, and then Hector Bellerin. I mean, he's got a lot. He was another player that got a lot better defensively quite quickly under Emery. Um, so, no, probably not, but I don't necessarily think that Maitland-Niles would mind being the understudy, and all power to him if he wants to kind of compete for that. It's only going to make him a better player. He's probably going to save us, what, 30 or 40 million this, sum- this summer? Yeah. You know, um, and then there's always, for me, there's always this kind of thing, nagging thing in the back of my mind about... Barcelona! Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, they came in for him, or they were hovering around... Um, Hector a few summers ago and, you know, there was talk that, you know, that he might leave and whatnot. So in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking he, he might, they might, you know, manage to dip him and take him back home. And if that's the case, hopefully by then, uh, Maitland-Niles is ready to step on and take on the, 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 the role. I don't know if you, if that's ever kind of crossed your mind, James. Or Yeah, 100%. Um, I think kind of this, the last summer was probably the first summer in a while where Barcelona didn't really look mm. to sign Bellerin. Yeah. Um, which is basically because he'd gone really badly off the boil under Wenger. Um, oh, well, I, yeah, think, I, mean, I think to be fair to Arsene, I think also we had no cover and he played, what, 60, 60-odd yeah, games. Exactly. He, he was absolutely burnt out by about March yeah. last season. And he was still, I mean, I think from what I've heard, he was, that ankle injury he suffered, I mean, the timing would, I, I can't quite remember, but I'm sure you remember the one where he was out for quite a while. Mm. Well, he really rushed back from that and he never quite recovered until... Um, over the summer when he wasn't at the, the World Cup. I think that really did him the power of good. That's at least what I've heard. I mean, I think one day Barcelona will come in for Hector Bellerin and I think it might be quite hard for him to say no as much as he loves living in London and, and loves Arsenal. So I think if you've got someone like Maitland-Niles in that squad, as you say, you're saving 30 or 40 million. And then when Bellerin goes, you might get 60, 70, 80 million for him if he carries on playing like he is. Yeah, we were talking, uh, changing the subject slightly, we were talking uh, earlier in the show about 
obviously the formation that you described and how successful it's been for the last two games. And we're also debating whether Emery will stick with it or whether he will just do what he's done all season and, and change the formation based on the opposition. Because everyone saw, I think people are wrongly, I think, in my view, assuming that Ozil's now in the side and is going to stay in the side. Uh, I think I think it's not going to change at all. I think tough away games, Ozil won't be selected. We've had two home games and he has been selected. I, I still don't think he's necessarily going to use this formation all the time, particularly when Awobi and Mkhitaryan were playing so well just before those two games. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're. I think I think you've got a, a lot right there. I think Ozil, it's kind of just he's got back in Emery's good books a bit more. And I mean, I guess you can kind of tell because us in the media we're just talking about him a bit less, and that that's always something that Emery I know appreciates. Um, but yeah, I think you're right that it's always so difficult at the moment to try and predict how Emery might line up for these games. At the moment, that's just because you've got almost every attacker in that team right now is in really good form. Like Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, they might have only been substitutes against Wren, but they came on and they just ensured that Arsenal really had that attacking presence in the last third of the game or whatever it was. Um, and I, I can't remember. I think did Iwobi played a crucial role in the um, in the third goal, if I remember rightly. And, it's a great position to be in, and you know, as you say, that Emery will just—he'll play the right team for every opponent. And I think when you look at the games that are coming up, they're kind of all sort of banana skinny type games where you'd be really disappointed to drop any points in pretty much all of them. But um, you know, you you also know that teams like Wolves away, Everton away, even Crystal Palace at home—they're going to be such tough games. And I think Emery—it's probably where he's going to really show his quality. Uh, James, going off topic a bit and going to the topic that's been hot on the, on the Arsenal press for the last few days is the Monchi uh, saga. Um, even up till today, there was, you know, there was reason to believe, maybe slim hope to believe that he might um, change his mind. Not yet today, well, recently, I think yesterday, people yeah. thought that he might he might still come to Arsenal. I mean, what's your take on the situation? How did, I mean, it seemed like a really fluid situation, and everything kind of happened really quickly. What's your take on it? It happened so quickly. I mean, from what I've heard, Sevilla basically got on the phone sometime on Thursday and said, "Look, we're you know we're planning on sacking our manager, um, and we're going to replace him with the director of football. So we need a new director of football. Can you come and help us out?" And it was that sort of "Monchi, we need you to save us" sort of thing. I mean, you know, when I was talking to people at Arsenal about this technical director thing. The assumption was that, that Monchi was coming and actually they were probably fair enough to assume that. I mean, there was a three-year de- deal on the table. Um, despite the rumours in Spain, it was a pretty decent salary Monchi would have been on. Their expectation was he was ready to come. He wanted to work with Emery again. He was looking forward to, to working with Sané. It was all going to plan, but then like, these things happen. It's severe. It's, you know, he's a local lad. He, played for them he you know turned them around in his first spell at, at director of football and I mean we always kind of want to look for, for someone to scapegoat to take the blame and I know that Sanye's been getting lots of grief about this but I don't really know what more Arsenal could have done they made a good offer uh, but you know Emery was led by his heart and you know he's had a rough time in Rome and I think there's a lot of appeals to coming home so and you're suggesting you're Sometimes. suggesting today they might be. <laughs> you feel like you have to blame someone, but uh, and James, you're suggesting I see that they might um, look to an alternative from within the ranks. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard a few people mention um, Steve Morrow, the head of youth scouting, and obviously a, a former Arsenal player as an option there. Legend. Now that 
<laughs> a legend, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Although, obviously, only predominantly legendary for being for falling, dropped after the League Cup off. final. <laughs> James, um, if, if, if they do look within the club, the appeal of someone like Monchi, beyond just his ability to work with the youth, is his wider scouting knowledge, his ability to bring in players like, say, Danny Alves from South America for £200,000, find gems for cheap abroad do you think that an english coach an english youth coach director of football whatever they may be would have that same range of knowledge and expertise well i don't know i guess i guess it would depend on the individual but i mean if you look at kind of how much he did the amazing work he did a lot of it is kind of based on watching a lot of videos and you know just watching football from all around the world and there's nothing to stop if it's Steve Morrow or Francis Cagliari or whoever, there's nothing to stop any of them being able to do that. I mean, Monchi was phenomenal at what he did, and he had a brilliant eye for a player. But um, it wasn't like he had these sort of this contact books in these contact books in South America that no one else could compete with. It was just that he knew what he was looking for, and he was really good at, at knowing, having that eye for the right player. I think that if you look at someone like Steve Morrow and you look at the sort of young players he's brought in, he obviously knows talent when he sees it because Arsenal have had one of the most productive youth academies in the country ever since he's worked there. Well, he was responsible for America and the Far East for a long time as well, wasn't he, before he came back to the UK, Morrow, for Arsenal? Yeah, Yeah. which I I guess is a a sort of you're on a hiding to nothing there a little bit because um, there's not necessarily quite the depth of talent out there that there might be in, in South America or Europe. But um, you're talking about a really capable, really capable guy who, above all else as well, I think the other side of the technical director job that kind of goes under the radar a bit is that they will be responsible for ensuring that there's a brand of Arsenal football that's played across the club. And someone already within the club might have a very good chance of doing that. James, thanks so much for joining us. James Benj there of Football.London. Coming up, more on the director of football, Sark. This is Love Sport. The Arsenal! The Arsenal! You are listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, and Dave Seeger and Giles Aniam from Gunnerstown. Now, the big Arsenal story from the last 48 hours was a certain Mr. Monchi. He'd been linked with a move to the club in the director of football role. It all looked like it might be tied up. Three-year deal reportedly on the table. And then in the 11th hour, Sevilla, his hometown club, pounced and brought him back to Spain. How big of a miss is that? Uh, Hard to tell. I mean, as David said to me before, like, look, we worry about what goes on in the football field, not really in the in the, the, the ivory towers, you know. Um, um, so it's hard to tell. Time will tell whether it's a loss or a gain. Who's going to come in? It could be Stevie Morrow. He could do a fantastic job for us, you know. Um, and again, what I wanted to ask James is really, what is? Can he clarify? What these all these terms and all these roles mean? Technical director, director yeah. of football, yeah. they Sporting all director, head of scouting, yeah. they all change slightly, and. I think with, I mean, people have been talking about Monchi for a while. I know you mentioned him mm. about twelve months ago, mm. as as, a, as a, when we were talking about yeah. it, you know, before. Um, and 
people talk about these names, and I think younger fans follow European football perhaps more than I do, and they, they, they're really big on it. But as I said earlier, off air, I can't tell you the director of football at Chelsea is, the director of football at Man City, director of football at Man United. You know, it, suddenly it's more important than a star signing. I don't, I'm not so sure it is. I don't know. I think, as I was saying, Dave, off air, like, you know, football, is, it's, it's moving. In yes, that, course, the, whole, yeah. the rest of the continent have been, have been doing this for donkey's years. English football is just now catching up. You know, to it, and I think uh, you know, I think fans will be more savvy, will be more uh, up to date with what all these people mean, all these terms mean, and whatnot. But it, you know, uh, will he be a loss? I don't know. It depends on who comes in and what they do. In terms specifically of the job Monchi mm. was doing at Sevilla under that director of football banner, it's basically a twofold role. So the first is player recruitment, and the second is player development. So it's cited that he signed an eleven for twenty three point five million pound million pounds it's a pretty impressive one uh, Danny Alves Federico Fazio Caceres and Adriano at the back Palop in goal Rakitic Baptista Seydou Keita and Christian Poulsen in midfield Fabiano and Backer up front for under 25 million pounds the other side of that particular coin is the youth development he was credited with a role certainly in bringing through Sergio Ramos Jesus Navas Alberto Moreno Luis, Luis Alberto Jose Antonio Reyes was another who came through at that point so I think it's a combination of looking outside for new talent and nurturing talent from within I think at Arsenal, the youth wasn't involved in yeah. the job at Arsenal was it? But my point what I'd like to say to that is the other side of that was selling and that's where he really made his name so as much as buying them uh, for, for pennies sold them for a lot of money now he's gone to Roma and that I'm probably the remit there is slightly different. They're a big club, you know, um, with a slightly different route. They want to be in a Champions League. They want to challenge for, for, for Italian honours. And maybe, you know, he just wasn't cut out for it. And you've got to ask yourself, I don't think Arsenal want to, we don't want somebody that's going to come in and find someone for £2 and sell him for £200 million. We want to develop a team, a club with a focus and a, a blueprint going forward for success. Maybe he didn't feel he was right for that. Well, it's interesting that you should mention Roma there, Giles, because we're joined on the line by Andrea Rosati, who is Gunnerstown's Italian correspondent. Andrea, thanks very much for joining us. As you understand it, what kind of role would Monchi have taken on had he joined Arsenal? Hello, and um, thank you very much for having me. Um, so I had the chance to uh, discuss with some uh, Roma fans and uh, discussed about how they viewed the arrival of uh, Monchi and uh, what went when and well, what went, uh, what went wrong, basically. And uh, let's say that they were, some were really disappointed by the way he brought some, uh, let's say, established players for some big money uh, who didn't really perform and didn't really suit the way the former coach, Jose Di Francesco, was, uh, was designing the team. So maybe the, the jump from uh, from Sevilla to to a bigger club, let's say like like Roma, uh, didn't work out as as planned, and this could be the reason why uh, suddenly the offer from the Arsenal wasn't uh, that appealing. Let's say he might be he might have been scared actually. So you're suggesting he found his level at Sevilla. It was his hometown club. That was where he was comfortable, both in terms of the atmosphere and actually the ability, the standards set by that particular league and that particular side. Uh, let's say that uh, the atmosphere might have played a role because uh, Roma fans aren't the most, um, 
let's say, stable ones. Uh, it's a difficult club to work with. Uh, many former players and many head coaches and managers, uh, such like Apello, always refer to us uh, to Roma as a as one of the toughest uh, places they work with uh, because of the pressure you are under um, all the time, and uh, also because of the way you go from being a hero to being uh, absolutely rubbish within days, sometimes within hours. So maybe he felt like he felt that at Rome and didn't like it and took, let's say, maybe the easy option and went back home where uh, where he knows people and he knows the fans, he knows the club and uh, so, and, and people know him. Yeah, Andreas, Dave here. How you doing, my friend? Um, I just oh, think, do you think given the research you've done, the people you've interviewed, that it was it's a miss for Arsenal or a narrow escape? Was it what I we needed? It... Now you know Arsenal as well as as well as any foreign fan I know, you you know, you follow us religiously. Is it what Arsenal needed right now? So are are we unfortunate or are, is it a blessing in disguise? Uh the first impression mm, when I talked to uh, to this our Roma fans was that we might have dodged a bullet, but Given his close relationship with Emery and given his huge success at Sevilla at the end of the day, I think it would have been a great addition to the club. Uh, he suffered. It didn't, didn't go as planned in Italy. This is undeniable. But as I was saying, it's, it's a difficult place to work. And I do believe that in London with Unai Emery, he could have been... Could have been good again. Yeah, I could see the working relationship with Emery as definitely a plus. But twenty years ago, Arsene Wenger was pulling rabbits out of a magic hat every season. Other managers, it isn't as hard because everybody knows every young player in the world now. Everybody watches. You know, there's so the stats. It's so the the scouting reports everywhere you go. It's not. It's everyone knows who the good young players are. But so what's the job? Well, the point the point with Monchi is the stats specifically, right? So what he was doing was he was analyzing for the first half of a season he would just watch players record all the stats and he then had an enormous and still has a database of about 250,000 players of all positions with all kinds of things so the policy that Monchi brought in at Sevilla was the manager would be able to turn to him and go I want a right back who's between the ages of 19 and 24 I want him to cover an average of at least 11 kilometers a game and I want him to be two-footed Monchi would then be able to go right I've got eight players and take it from there so so beyond just having this oh, okay. broad perception of who's good, I think his particular skill, Andrea, as I understand it, was ha- being able to really specifically target not just ability, but specifics of exactly what a team needs. And maybe that was where he came a crocker at, at Roma, because at Seville, you, you're, you're, playing, you're playing really to a different tune. You're, 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 you're trying to stay within the top seven or eight or whatever, whereas Roma, you're one of the biggest in Italy. You've got a, you've got a history. You've got Totti. You've, as, as Andrea said, you've got all this history. You've got all these former players and whatnot. You know that are on you. You can go from here into a village in in matter of seconds. And I think that's where his maybe his philosophy, his his whatever worked at Seville didn't work at Roma. I don't think there was enough time. But I still don't think the time he was he was there was enough time to sort of like judge him, the body of work. And maybe he just became scared. And and like everyone said, he's gone back to to Roma. 
In terms of the philosophy, Andrea, which is a word which has just been used a couple of times by Giles, do you think that Monchi would have fitted in with Arsenal's ethos as a club? You said that lots of the signings of bigger players were being criticised, but actually, in terms of bringing in youth, he brought in Justin Cliver and, crucially, Nicolo Zaniolo, and those kind of youthful additions could really have made him a favourite at the Emirates, couldn't they? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I agree. Um, he brought some some relatively unknown players. Uh, you mentioned Zaniolo, uh, Clivert, but also uh, the Turkish winger Under, who performed really, really well and and had their value, uh, whose value basically increased by ten or twenty times. And so heavily linked with given, Arsenal as well, Cengiz Under. Yeah, exactly. So given the difficulties that we had recently in selling players for good value, and given the restrictions that we seem to have at the moment in, in our spending power, someone like Monchi could have done wonders in uh, in getting more players like uh, like Guendouzi, for instance. You know, just kind of continuing where Sven Mislintat left <laughs> instead of changing philosophy completely. I know, maybe, but maybe also, I mean, players, players like Steven and Zonzi and Benega at his age now and Alberto Moreno don't really, you know, they don't really inspire much, uh, they say ambition, you know. I mean, it's one thing being, being able to bring in a couple of youngsters that might turn into gems, but we're not just trying to stay in the Europa League, we're actually trying to, the MO is to get into the Champions League and be safely ensconced within the top four. Is that is that mo is that modus operandi fitting with Arsenal? I mean, that's that's my question. I mean, I liked him, Dave. You know, I've been talk, I talked about him for a long time, but just thinking about it now, I'm wondering. Well, if he can't shift, if he can't shift his comfort zone to fit in with the model of the club that he's in, then that might have been a problem. Say, even if he did manage to find another Torreira or another Chengizunda, I mean, the, the fact is, we need to be back in the top four. You know, and if he can't, you know, if he's not capable of keeping us in there and getting the players to get us, keep us in there, then maybe it was probably for the best. Yes, I'm not saying it would have been ideal, but I think at this point there's a difference between where we all want to be. Uh, so it means Champions League and closer to the top of the league, and where we can realistically be at the moment with the with our means, let's say. Uh, it, it was it was surprising to know that we didn't have money to spend in January. Uh, it was a bit of a shock for me. So naturally, we need to work with someone who can spot a talent before anyone else can. And I think Monchi is really good at that. Then if, if the purpose is only to sell big players, well, let's say good players for big money, then I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily agree because I want Arsenal to have good players for cheap if possible at all develop develop them and then keep them and keep building instead of selling and rebuilding all the time so it's difficult to tell whether Monchi philosophy was mainly his idea while at Sevilla or if they had to sell to keep their balance uh, on the positive. I think you make a very good point there, Andrea. The focus for Arsenal now has to be on keeping those talents. It's no good finding a Torreira if in two years' time you sell him to Real Madrid. This is about a project, about Emery taking the club forward and whoever comes in as director of football looking long-term and not just for a quick 
buck. But there wasn't any part of that in the role that they're looking for. We've got Russ Famey in to deal with contracts. <coughs> no, exactly. So but, but that's that, really if, not if, in Monchi's... That wouldn't but, have been in Monchi's remit, But quite. It? But if Monchi's skill is to then, as Andrea was pointing out, take a big fee, that's actually not the kind of skill set that Arsenal should be targeting. Andrea, stay with us because there's a small matter of a Europa League tie coming up against a certain Italian side and we're going to need all the help and expertise we can get. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the Arsenal Fan Show on Love Sport Radio with Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger and Giles Aniam from Gunnerstown. I'm delighted to say we're still joined on the line by Andrea Rosati, who is Gunnerstown's Italian correspondent. Now, Andrea, in drawing Napoli, Arsenal have got one of the toughest teams, if not the toughest team, left in the competition. This is a Europa League side who are more comfortable in the Champions League and will pose a really, really tough challenge for Unai Emery's men. Do you think they've got a chance? Uh, it's, it's really it's really tough and it's going to be really, really open uh, because, as you said, it's a big club, big players, and they have a huge superstar who's uh, their coach. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti, who to me still is one of the best uh, in Europe. Uh, Andrea, what Andrea wanted him at Arsenal. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> that would have been. <laughs> I would have been really happy to see him joining. Uh, still happy with Unai Emery, though. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be really open. And one thing we cannot afford is to replicate what we did with Bata Borisov and with Ren. So giving away the first leg like we did because. I don't think there will be any, any way back this time. Do you think we'll start because of that? We were speculating earlier that whilst we do think Emery will continue to change his formation in the Premier League based on the opposition, do you think, given the sort of the fast-moving attack of Napoli, that he'll stick with the three at the back for this for this tie? Certainly in the away league. I, I think it would it would make sense, especially as they're more they're really fluid up front uh, with Callihan, with Mertens, and. Uh, they, they try to overload. Yeah, they try to overload the flanks, so it would make sense to have a back three and, and two wing back wing backs uh, working like like they did again again and again Manchester United. The thing so that allowed. I would expect it. Sorry, Andre. No, you're saying he would expect the three, yeah. Well, the thing the thing that allowed Arsenal back into the tie against Ren, Andrea, was that away goal. It was all important, and a lot has been made of how hard it is to travel to Naples, particularly with Arsenal's away form. How important is it that the Gunners get an away goal in Italy? It, it's going to be really, really important. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're, we're playing the uh, first uh, leg at home. So no, no, first leg away. Away, away first. In okay. fact, we're away first, aren't we? Uh, okay. Yeah. I thought Chelsea was playing at home, but even better. So, uh, yes, then then scoring away from home is going to be it's going to be really really important, and uh, hopefully we will get this kind of performance and uh, an aggression that we we saw against Manchester United and against Rennes, because I feel that Napoli might suffer a very aggressive uh, opponent. And uh, might suffer some 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 of the intensity that we've shown uh, recently. Yeah, you're right. We are home first. Sorry, my mistake. I think we were initially away first. By the way, there's a home rotation rule relating mm. to the mm. other teams in the competition. So because certainly, the way it was drawn, it was yeah. Napoli mm. versus yeah, Arsenal because of Chelsea's draw. Yeah, Arsenal's okay. Arsenal's <clears throat> away leg changed. Yeah. So, given that we play at home, the the most important thing not to concede at the Emirates. 
that's that is going to be vital for our chances because then traveling to Italy what's their what's their defense what's their defense like Andrea I mean obviously I know we all know about Koulibaly I don't really know I'm not familiar with the rest of the back four or back five and how they play is it is it a strong uh, defense it is it's a very very offensive defensive line if I can say um, they play a 4-4-2 and uh, their wide men wide midfielders tend to drift inside which leave uh, which make room for their fullbacks to, to push. So they might be exposed on the flanks at times. Uh, they have uh, fullbacks such as Gulam and uh, Malkui and Hizai, if I'm not mistaken, who really like to go forward. They're not really good at the back. They're not excellent, let's say. And uh, Koulibaly is, uh, is a fantastic defender. But alongside him, Albiol is getting old and it's not getting any better. Vlad Kirikas uh, used to play for Spurs so he's rubbish. <laughs> yeah, and, and, he, and he's injured on top of that. He might be back for the, for the first leg but it's not 100% sure. And uh, Maximovic as well is not, uh, let's say defensively they're not as good as they are going forward. Well, let's talk about that attack, Andrea. You mentioned how flexible they are. Mertens, Insigne and Callejon being very interchangeable in who runs wide, who runs the channels, who perhaps drops a bit into midfield. How should Arsenal set up their defensive line to best handle a front three who are very, very slippery? Um, there are two options, actually. Um, if Ancelotti goes with the 4-4-2 that uh, we've seen recently, they will have uh, Milik as a target man up front, uh, and we will have, well, they will have Mertens uh, playing in a kind of post nine or in the hole, if you wish, with two white men, who could be Callejon on the right and Insigne on the left, um, since he's, uh, he's on his way back after, after the injury and should be all right for the first leg already. Uh, so they the, the, the danger might come, I think, primarily from Mertens uh, going back and playing in the in the number ten role, so not giving any any point of reference, and of course from the wide man who go who run in behind quite frequently. So both our wing backs need to be need to be on uh, on their toes and be aware that uh, especially California is really really good at, at running in behind. And, uh, and pop up in very dangerous areas. Um, Andrea, going uh, unnoticed. Yes. And, uh, first leg at Arsenal, um, you would expect Arsenal to have to go out, come come away from that with a, a lead, uh, possibly a two-goal lead, maybe even. Um, how are they? How do Napoli operate away from home? Are they are they a bit? Sh- I mean, I was looking at the um, anything to take anything from the Liverpool game when they went over to Liverpool. There's a one-nil win for Liverpool. It was a very tight game. Um, they didn't really change the way they play. They, you know, they still play with a four-four-two. They seem to like to hog the ball, but not as much as they did under Sari. Do they? Are they quite? Do they like possession even even if they're playing away from home? Are they a possession-heavy team or possession-focused team away from home? They're they're less uh, they're less prone to keep possession of the ball under Ancelotti than they were under Sari. That's that's for sure. Uh, what Ancelotti does most of the time, he just uh, replaces a very offensive white man, it could be Callejon or Insigne, with someone more conservative. And and their fullbacks are a bit less adventurous. But tactically speaking, that's the only change. So they 
they want to go and control the game as much as they can, but let's say they, they take a bit less uh, risks away from home and they slow things down a lot. And their primary objective is, their primary target is to make life difficult for their opponents as opposed to imposing their own game like they try to do at home. And in terms of their creativity in midfield, Andrea, a lot has been made of Piotr Zielinski, who's been very, very impressive in Serie A. Klopp has tried to bring him to Liverpool a few times. But Napoli are also now without Marek Hamšek, who had a fantastic 12-year spell at the club. He's gone off to China. Is there a Hamšek-sized hole in that midfield, or will Zielinski still be able to pull the strings solo? I think they're not they're not suffering that much from uh, from Hamsik leaving for China. Um, he was a kind of uh, let's say if if I can say it's a bit he was playing football that Aaron Ramsey used to play under Wenger. So technically free to roam and to move forward to push to get into the box. He was not really um, the man pulling the strings as opposed to what Zielinski. Uh, is doing at the moment, or Fabian Ruiz, the Spanish uh, youngster, is doing as well. So Ancelotti in his 4-4-2 prefers to have a ball winner, and they have Alan, who is absolutely fantastic in his role, and is, is a great, great player. And alongside this ball winner, they have a creator or, or a, say, a playmaker. And Hamsik wasn't really a playmaker. He, he wasn't a number eight. He wasn't a number 10. He was he was an hybrid, uh, while Zielinski he really is a playmaker who makes the, the team tick. So there's no hole, there's a, to, to answer to your question, there's no Marek hole uh, in midfield. They just switched systems to... Uh, Where are their weaknesses then? Uh, defensive line, as I was saying, first of all. Okay. And in midfield, they're not, uh, they're not really dynamic. They're not. Uh, they don't have. Uh, they they only have Zielinski as a ball carrier centrally. I mean, and uh, when they have to run backwards, they're not. They're not that good. So, if Arsenal can can put some pressure on their central midfielders, they might find a way to to break their play and uh, win like the job, ball back. Sounds like a job for Ozil and Aubameyang then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raul Albiol not the quickest. I yeah. think Torreira and then Aubameyang could be the secret. Yeah, the kind of start that we had against Man United, I think, would be an order of the day. Yeah, Come out flying yeah. and scare them. Andrea, thanks ever so thanks, much Andrea. for you, joining us. Uh, Andrea Rosati there, who's Gunners, Gunners Town's Italian correspondent. Coming up, Arsenal have finally got a second-choice right-back who looks worthy of the shirt. So now we're being linked to 53 more. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> This is Love Sport. Ainsley Maitland-Niles has been one of Arsenal's most impressive performers in recent weeks. He won plaudits against United and then was instrumental as the Gunners came back against Wren, even getting on the score sheet. Our discussion in the first hour of the show was largely centred around how good he's been. Is he ready to fight Hector Bellerin for that right wing-back spot? So obviously, Arsenal are now being linked with every right-back in Europe. We've heard Aaron Wambisaka's name be mentioned and all also a certain Mr Antonio Valencia. Do you two think that the club should be looking at options in the full-back berths? Uh, uh, something tells me that we're not going to be able to pay fork out for two full-backs and I think we need a left-back. Um, and so I would leave well alone with the, with the right-back situation. Maybe if we can find a, 
an experienced cover for 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 for, for Maitland Niles, you know, um, not as we got one, haven't we? Yeah, but someone <laughs> that can actually run would be helpful and pass. Yeah, and pass would be helpful, you know. But I think um, depending on how much funds we have available um, and whether the club feel that Kalasinac might be a saleable asset, I think you know left back would be good. Would be a good place. To be honest with you, if style. you'd said to me three years ago, Arsenal are in for Antonio Valencia. Probably the one of the few players in the league I would love to have more than anyone else at my club. Even I think, now, I think no, no. This is the thing. I think, I think now, no. But he, what a player! Legs gone. Yeah, yeah, but what a player he's been for Man United. I mean, yeah. literally the unsung hero of that squad. I mean, one of the few survivors of the the Vengerson, the Ferguson He would have made the top three. Um, so yeah, what a, what a great player. But no, I don't understand that one. I don't know where that's coming from. You know, it's been in a few Could of the gossip. Talk. It, it's been in a few of the gossip columns. I mean, he's certainly still good enough to play in the Premier League, but not, not in a right. team that's challenging no. for for top six or top four. Uh, Wan Bissaka, I, I just think, yeah, I think someone's going to sign him, and it won't be us. I think Man United. If well, Arsenal, he, he, he definitely won't stay at Palace. If but. Arsenal had the chance, I mean, I know we've discussed that we're well stocked in the wing back role. You've got Bayer in there and Maitland Niles. But in Wambasaka, there is arguably the most promising right wing back talent in world football. If he were available, and as you say, Arsenal might not be his preferred destination, but if the club did have a chance, surely even if he's not the priority, knowing that you could sign someone there and have a position locked down for potentially a decade is just worth going, you know what, we've got to well, have Bellerin's it. Bellerin's only 23. So he's but yeah, Bayern, right, there's still right, that prospect right, yeah. of Barcelona. Right. I mean, look, Wan-Bissaka's his performances this season have been unbelievable. He's, he's had Martial in his pocket. He's had so many players in his pocket. He's dynamic beyond belief. Both Technically attack. very good. Yeah, well. defensively and attacking-wise. You know, He'd only enhance any top team's um, side. And I think he's going Man City. I think they're going to play him. They're going to yeah. put him against Carl uh, Walker. And I think he's going Man City. Do you think that would be the right move? I mean, you said he'd enhance any top side. I think that's true. But with Carl Walker and City, you're possibly looking at the one team in England, but possibly Carl the Walker, only team in Carl, Europe where I he's not Carl, starting. I think Carl Walker is ready to be replaced. Yeah, and I and I think. He he will rotate them both, and yeah, he'll he'll as he as out. he does yeah. all season. Yeah. So we're talking two full, two two similar level to fullbacks. I think I wouldn't. I heard I heard the Palace fan show. I was listening in the car about I don't know four or five weeks ago, and they asked the whole panel, you know, who would you sell, Sahar or Wambasaka? They all said Sahar. If you had a choice of selling one player, yeah. all the Palace fans would sell he's Wilfred so Sahar before they sell Wambasaka, which is fascinating yeah, for me. That's so how highly they rate him. Yeah. I think there's a potential worry for Wambasaka, which actually would apply going to Arsenal as well as City, because as you rightly point out, Dave, Bayern's young and he's impressive. When you're getting football in the Premier League, you know the club, you've come through as a Croydon boy and you're getting football, you don't want to move too early. No, and I actually, agree. I think he should stay, but... I actually think he's good enough to, to unseat Carl Walker. I think he's that. So, no, would, would, no, would, I think he's so you're ready. both agreed on this, which I find quite interesting. Yeah. Would this be a case, do you think, of Carl Walker losing his place, or would we see Carl Walker shift infield and play as a right-sided centre half? Does that for England, is, doesn't he? Yeah, it's where Southgate's yeah, used him. He's done it for England, maybe in a three. Yeah. In a yeah, three. In a three. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, he's not. He's not a centre back. In a I three. just know that Guardiola likes to have two similar level fullbacks on the left and the right, and Wan Bissaka 
Who's the guy they played? They played him in centre. Tell me, he played centre back the other week, but they signed the other right back at the same time as they signed Carl Walker from uh, Real Madrid. Who's that? Um, oh, Danilo. Danilo, because he's a right back as yeah. well, isn't he? Yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, he fills in everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Doesn't look yeah. very good wherever he plays. I mean, they, they had, they've got Zinchenko now, who's filling in from Mundi. Zinchenko's yeah. another who's not really a fullback. This is very interesting in the Maitland well, Niles Delft. discussion. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think that shows that the we're seeing. You need y- to be. A- but we're also seeing that these players who are top footballers, perhaps but perhaps not quite technical enough to be a central midfielder in a top side. Mm. Maitland-Niles, for me, ticks that box, can still be... pace as well, Maitland-Niles. Yeah. So really, really impressive. Yeah. He couldn't even make the under-21 squad. Yeah, He's not even in the England under-21 squad. Yeah. I mean, what are they thinking? Well, I suppose... Unbelievable. Yeah. Better for us, because we need, oh, we, yeah. need you know, we need a fresh Maitland-Niles, definitely. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if you've got physical attributes that can compensate for maybe the lack of technical ability, um, then you'll get, a, you know, you, there's a job for you, you know, especially in this day and age. Um, and he's a, I do feel sorry for him because he's a bit of a utility man, but he's young enough to, you know, he's young and all he has to do is wait for his opportunity and maybe he can make the right back birth his own. We, we're all, we're all, we all think that Bellerin's going to come Gal back. I bet didn't think his chance yeah. was going to come so quickly. <laughs> you know, we all think that Bellerin's going to come straight back in and shoo in, but you never, you just don't know. No. You just don't know. In terms of Maitland-Niles' versatility, we saw him play left-back under Wenger, which wasn't perhaps where he was at his most successful. But Giles, you mentioned just a moment ago that you would rather see the club prioritising a left-sided defender than a right-sided one. I don't know whether you see that as an understudy for Kolasinac or perhaps as an improvement, but could Maitland-Niles even fill that slot? No, no. I don't want him to fill it. He did, man, he did well you know, when he was asked last season, but that's not his role. Oh, I don't think it's a Kolasinac replacement we're looking for. Might I think be, yeah. It's a Monreal replacement. Yeah. I mean, Monreal is uh, he's been our probably our most consistent player for four years, but he is not getting any Going younger. I think he signed a one-year extension. He's he, I don't think he can still play left wing back. No. So Kalazinak can play left wing back. Monreal can play left back, but I think it's left. He's older of the two, so mm. Kalazinak's a wing back. We need a left back. So in terms of a left back, a left wing back, one name that's come up a lot is Nicola Taliafico at Ajax, who has Strong been very wings. impressive. Yeah. Would he be your first choice? Um, of if I'm looking for an experienced fullback for not a lot of money, that is at the right prime age, Taglifico would be the one. How old is he? Twenty-six. Okay. He's you know, I thought you were going to say who I would say. Was just because Bertrand? I, yeah, I would say Bertrand's a shoe in to be. But he's twenty-nine. And he's yeah, not but, got many years yeah, but left. But Monreal's thirty-two and he's still. But like, Taglifico's twenty-six. Yeah. So you know, he's still got years on him. Not homegrown though. No, which we might, desperately might do need homegrown yeah, players. Absolutely. Which is, which and I, I, I didn't understand what happened last summer. Ryan Bertrand played all the qualifiers. Was England's first choice left back. Didn't go to the tournament. Couldn't understand it. Rose had been out all season. Went and um, who Ashley else? Young. Ashley Young played left back. <laughs> well, I think and Bertrand had literally gotten there and wow. just got dropped. I couldn't understand it. Ashley, Ashley Young had had a very good season, but I think why Southgate went for Young over Bertrand was the set pieces where Young was actually very important. Trippier was taking them from the right. Young wasn't taking direct shots on goal, but those deliveries to the back post were actually quite impressive. Should have got Chilwell two years ago, shouldn't we? (laughs) Well, there are always the gift of hindsight. Coming up, we're talking a lot about scouting. We're talking a lot about identifying young talent. And could the championship be the place to look? This is Love Sport.
One man who impressed in the weekend's Premier League action was a man who may not be playing Premier League football for that much longer, Carlin Grant, who was signed by Huddersfield for just a couple of million quid in January. He'd been banging in goals for fun in League One for Charlton. They got him on the cheap because his contract was expiring. Bargains are to be had. We know the old Tottenham Hotspur chant about how much money Delhi Ali cost. If you get it right, you can get yourself a real, real talent for less than even looking abroad. James Madison for Leicester is also looking tidy. But are many of these players of an Arsenal kind of calibre? Giles, would you, if you were the new director of football of Arsenal and your name was Giles Chi, would you be looking <laughs> to the championship for the next big thing? Um, I certainly would be casting my, my eye over it for championship. There's a few good young players. You look at Norwich City, if they don't come up, I'm sure they will come up, so they'll be able to probably hang on to their young talent. But they've got people like Ben Godfrey that Arsenal have looked at. They've got Max Arons, who's the young uh, wing-back or right-back, who's looking really good. They've got uh, Lewis as well. Um, again, I think I expect them to hang on to, to them if they come up to the Premier League. But um, there's also um, another kid out there who plays for Bristol City who they say he's the next Joe Gomez, and that's Lloyd Kelly. You know, um, one of the most accomplished players in that, the championship. Does that mean he's always going to be injured? <laughs> <laughs> one of the most accomplished players in the, in the in the championship, and they say he's m marginally better than than. Uh, than Bed Godfrey and, and Max Aaron. So there, there are bargains to be had and they're, they're, these kids are ready, they're ready to step up. I mean, homegrown, the homegrown thing is is going to be, I, I, I'm not even sure what the situation is with Arsenal. Well, we definitely need a couple in the summer. Definitely. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully you never know. The yeah. growth of the championship is such that you're not just looking at English talent as well now in that level. Emi Buendia is 21 years old. He's Argentinian, playing centre mid for Norwich at the top of the league. He's running things. I take your point absolutely, Giles, but my scepticism is that I'm not sure how many of these players are able to step up for a top, top club. I think you're bang on that there's a lot of premiership quality in the championship. But a point you yourself made earlier in the show was the one of we're looking for Champions League as mm -hmm. standard now. Mm -hmm. We're looking for that being safe. We're looking in time at challenging for Premier Leagues, for challenging for Champions Leagues as well. And as I look down the list of championship players, ones who have moved, Chris Meppham left Brentford for Bournemouth. He's a good player. He's not a top player. If you look at the goal scorers in the championship, Timo Pukki, yeah, he's got 24 goals for Norwich. He's not a top-level player. Billy Sharp passed it. <laughs> Shea Adams, 22 years old. That's a lot of goals, 21 for Birmingham City. But again, does he come in I as a real top striker? So my point earlier on was that you can look for young players who are gems, but the journeyman footballers is not what I really want no. to see at Arsenal. Yeah, and, the, and, we, and, we, we, and if we if we're we're on a budget, we are going to be signing one or two top players this summer, mm -hmm. and we're going to have to supplement that with ones who are for for, for next year or the year after. Yeah. So we don't have to. I mean, that's not contradicting what Charles Charles no. said earlier. I think that's fair, and I think. Um, I think Brentford is a good example, actually, with Chris Meppham and other players who've obviously stepped up. Tarkovsky would uh, yeah, be another good example. So there are there are players who have done it. I think the one we should have got two years ago, and I would still take him now, to be honest with you, is Lascelles. I mean, that was that's yeah. a classic example, yeah. you know, from Forest to Newcastle. Mm -hmm. He's much better than a Newcastle centre back, you know, he's, he, and he's the sort of style of centre back that Arsenal probably have needed in recent yeah. years. Socrates has done it now, but mm. he would have been a great yeah. buy. So there are them I out think there. We, we we can afford to bring in someone young and have him as a development player just sort of like bring him through for the next season to learn watch Monreal or watch um, all these other players Socrates uh, Koscielny whoever and learn 
you know, and then step, be able to step into that role. I'm sure Chilwell learned from Fuchs. Absolutely. Yeah, Leicester. You know, so Fuchs was. Yeah. Well, I don't think he missed a game, did he, when yeah. they won the Premier League? No. You know, you know, look at this. Is it Harvey Barnes who's not doing too Harvey badly? Barnes is doing well, very West good Bro- things. They reckon him leaving and being put, taken back has cost, you know, uh, Darren Moore's job. Darren Moore's job. There was no, was, I mean, was there the was no reason to sack no. Darren Moore. No reason. No, no, it was all. a bit odd, to be yeah. fair. Uh, but no, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. But I don't think it even, it doesn't necessarily only have to be the championship. I mean, as mm. I've said, I've written, as you know, about Alexis Claude Maurice. Mm-hmm. I'm just about to write about Julian Ponceau at Lorient. These are, these are players in the second division in France who, if Lorient don't get up, which they won't, and we've all got a relationship there are two or three players there who can step up to Arsenal the, the next coming through Arsenal not straight into the side but look at Guendouzi who mm. who thought in a million years who'd heard Wilma, of Guendouzi well yeah. you know uh, someone at Arsenal but uh, no, I mean you know I don't think even Arsenal expected him to be stepping in mm. like that and it can happen Do you Hector think Bellerin a... played six games on loan at Watford the season before he broke through at Arsenal do you think there's an element of luck with this? Because, of for example, when Deli Ali went to Tottenham, he was linked with Liverpool and everyone knew he'd be good. He'd been very highly rated at I thought at he MK was more Dons. of a striker at MK Dons. You know, I, I thought he was, they were signing him as a striker. Well, the goal record was certainly yeah, yeah. impressive. People saw him, as you were saying, Giles, as someone who you bring in, he watches, he learns, and in a few years they're ready. The only players who really do it from nowhere are just suddenly seem to be ready. Mm. And I don't see how the club can, however good the scouting is, how they can legislate for those exceptional talents. Because I agree with you absolutely. Mm. There will be a few in the championship. There's always but an element chance, of gambling. Yeah, yeah, your chance of getting that one is surely very slim. Yeah, it is. But, you know, look, Callum Wilson come. Nobody really was looking at Callum Wilson, would they? And you, I know you've been playing yeah, I love him. Champion yeah. for a long time. You know? I think the injury record yeah, there is yeah, another but, point. But you know, it all comes down to the scouting and you know the the knowledge, the the, the knowledge base that you build up about these players, and it, like I said, it's a bit of a gamble. You do you are taking a bit of a, a leap of faith with some of them. I mean, you're helping that they I mean, they come. I tell you a good, a really good example of no one, no one saw this coming. Right, Doherty made his Premier League debut last time Wolves were in the Premier League. Right, <laughs> that's yeah. how long it's taken him. Look at that player now; yeah. easily the best right back in I, the, the right, right, best right wing back in the league. <coughs> Better than Bellerin. Think? Oh, unbelievable! I think he's been. I think he would go into the team of the season. If it, I mean, really, for me, he would. He's been sensational. Assists, goals, great defensively, and yet no one's taken a chance on him for the last five years. Mm. No Fair. one's even looked at him. I've not heard him linked to a Premiership side. No, it's so, a very know. good point. And actually, mm. Wolves not a team known for their academy, really, either. And the, yet there they have a gem. Spurs are one team who, not just Kozovali, they're really looking to the championship. So they've been heavily linked with Grealish for years. They were in for Jar- Jared Bowen, who is being compared, I think, generously to Robin. Uh, he's scoring goals for Hull City, cutting in off the right onto a left. Well, Grealish was a Premier League player, to be fair, when mm. he made his debut. I mean, it's hardly a, it's hardly an un- un- unearthing a gem for £40 million there, is no. it? No. Well, I'm not, I'm not actually actually a fan of Grealish to a particular extent I seem to be the only person who is of the opinion that he's not that excellent he's repeatedly being cited as this only attacking midfielder who England have who can take a sharp touch and play a pass you think well James Madison Barclay, James Madison Barkley can do well, I, mm, Madison's a good, good, good chap Ma- Madison at Arsenal would have been a really good signing and good I think signing. he's a good example of one of these guys who wouldn't be ready to come in immediately at a top club but actually as you say Joel, well he's already played for months. England so yeah, six months a year, he could be a top, top player. Coming up on the Arsenal Fan Show, more important stuff than all of this championship speculation. Race for top four. Will it happen? This is Love Sport. 
Just a few weeks ago, a Champions League spot through Premier League qualification was looking like a long, long shot for Arsenal Football Club. Now, they're being touted as favourites. I think this panel was always confident, to be fair. <laughs> this panel should always have been confident. But Dave Seeger and Giles Aniam of Gunnerstown, do you think it's going to happen for Arsenal? Is this now the overbearing likelihood that a third or fourth place finish will be what Emery you know, secures? You know what, I've, I've always said that we're in the hunt and people always cite that oh our 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 fixtures you know look a bit tricky but you know what Chelsea Chelsea lost to Everton the other day well Spurs have got to go no to one City and Liverpool look, so. yeah no one else is, no, everyone, nobody was looking at the other t- our rivals fixtures and thinking oh they've got a harder running than us nah well, they were no. saying that they were saying oh our away record is what's going to come a cropper for us I'm not sure it is if it's any, an eight, if it's the, an eight if, game season if now if any other team was offered eight fixtures without playing anyone else in the top six ours. they would take ours so that's, and the other thing that no one's talking about which I can't believe is our goal difference is now what five and seven better yeah. than I mean seven better than Chelsea yeah. I think four or five better than Man United it's actually yeah. six, six better than United yeah uh, and, and, and so, only one point behind Spurs one goal behind Spurs exactly so that could be absolutely yeah. critical if it's that tight goal difference is going to be important and we are in a rich vein of goal yeah. scoring form exactly well the um, other factor of course is form more broadly and particularly taking the other side of North London Spurs five game form is loss draw loss loss win say that again if you like loss draw loss <laughs> loss win that was for Tottenham Hotspur whereas Arsenal's is win draw win 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 it's by far the best form of any of these teams vying for these places if you factor that in with the confidence that will bring and then the fixtures it's surely Arsenal's to lose isn't it well we're fourth right yeah. Fourth we've all played the same amount of games so far, right? Yep. Yeah, two yeah, points clear of United. So ours to lose. And we've got, a, we've got a nice little gap to get Socrates fit as well. Yeah. Which is yeah. important. Yeah. So do you think that the international break is coming at the right time? For well, momentum-wise, obviously you'd like mm. to carry on, but I think Socrates is important. Yeah. I, I think we need Socrates in ahead of Mustafi, personally. Yeah, absolutely. In, 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 it, certainly if we're yeah. sticking with the back three. Yeah. Even with the back two, I think it will be Socrates and Koscielny. So I think we do need Socrates. And particularly with that break, as you say, it's a good thing in terms of getting Socrates fit. But Newcastle hasn't always been a straightforward fixture for Arsenal. And how important do you think getting the right result is there in terms of setting the tone for the run? We've been well, at home more often than oh, not. Oh, yeah, we do. It's, uh, part of that, Andy Carroll was the only freak result. Yeah. You yeah. can yeah. come unstuck, though. We've seen a 4 0 well, win. That was over there. Four all four. <laughs> that was over there. Crikey. But I, but I, that's, a, that's a long time yeah. ago. Um, no, I think well, I think that what's we have to win against Newcastle because mm. after that we've got five away and two at home, you know, and and some of these games are being rearranged. We're now in a situation where we play Watford on a Monday and mm. Napoli on a Thursday, mm. so we've got we have got some tough congestion uh, to come. So winning the next game, which is home, is absolutely critical, um, and then we'll be going into April clear. I would have thought clear of Man United and Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely ours to lose, and I think uh, I think I think the away form is less of a concern. I think we, mm. you know. We, I just starting to get yeah, it right. Yeah, I just, I'm just glad that the players seem to be right behind Emery and what he's trying to do. You know, and yeah, I even think the ones who are leaving. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and and I think that's going to be really important. That all everyone's pulling in the right direction. You know, no one's going to be sulking about they're not playing today because if they're not playing today, they'll probably be playing next the next game. You know, um, you know, and it's it's going to be really tough. And I'm just and I'm I'm just glad that we're beginning to stabilize our form. I'm not so worried about it. Don't get me wrong. Wolves away, haven't lost to a top six team yet. You know, it's going to be a tough old game. Leicester's always tough away from home. Everton, they've just beaten um, Chelsea. So, you know, but I, I'm, I'm more, I'm feeling more reassured by how we're looking, 
and the direction he's taking us on in, in, into. And you know, so yeah, long may it continue. I think, I think, I think six draws, sorry, six wins and two draws is enough. Is enough? And do you think? I think that's we win the. I think we win, win the three at home, win three away, and draw two away. That's enough. But we know also that this is Arsenal Football Club, and that it's quite likely that there will be a rogue loss in there somewhere. Well, I know it's a different manager, but Arsenal Football Club generally, our problem periods are not April and May. <laughs> you know, our problem periods have been autumn and after Christmas. You know, we've generally finished the season strongly. But equally, there are teams in there who are tough to go away to. I mean, yeah. Wolves have taken more points off the top six than anyone else they outside very, of it. They should have been. No doubt September. there's going to be a, a couple more twists and turns, whether of it's course. going to be us or Tottenham or Man United or whoever. You know, there's going to be a few more But you'll have a weekend where we but, may only yeah. draw with a Wolves or a Watford. And that same weekend, Somebody else might Tottenham lose. might be losing at Man yeah. City. Tottenham have got to play Man City... And three, three times three times in, in 10 days yeah. twice away from home they yeah. won't even be able to come back to London yeah. that could be 25 goals couldn't it <laughs> quite easily so you know it's, it's... all for City <laughs> how much of a race of <laughs> this kind do you think is psychological we've heard a lot about this in the title race Liverpool having all that pressure on them because they've never won the Premier League it's... if Arsenal slip if they slip early does the mentality go and does the form go with it I think I, I, you know Man City came out of that video in Amazon Mm. and it was following Pep and Pep said I think it was around March and he was talking about there's no such thing as tired mm. you know these are the big games we've got a prize in front of us you don't get tired it's but you might get here. mentally tired Charles. I think I think the adrenaline the fact that you've got an eyes on your your eyes on the prize you know that should, I'm hoping that will keep you going so you think you just, you've just seen you. us capitulate in Wren and then four days later convincingly beat Man United you know there's no problem with the mentality in the Premier League it's it's we've had some dicky away games where we've underestimated mm. inferior opposition in Europe we haven't done that in the league no. for some time no but if you were to then suddenly it's looking a bit different well I mean, if we do that then we deserve not to finish mm. in the top four but you think it, it'll be two eyes firmly on fourth rather than one eye on fourth one eye over the shoulder because it is so tight I think you've got you just worry about we're in the box seat in terms of top four, fourth place, so we've got to keep our eye on what we're doing. That's, we not, really that's not a cliche in football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's very true. Yeah. You know, you've got to keep your eyes on what you're doing and then worry about let the worries worry about the rest, you know. So um yeah, um it's 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 gonna be difficult. I'm sure there's gonna be a few more twists and turns. And and also you've got the Europa League games against Napoli, which is also gonna be, you know, difficult. As David said, we've got a Monday game against Wolford, then we've got to play Napoli, so we've got to be He's going to have to keep... But, but Spurs and Tottenham are playing Champions League yeah. games. Yeah. And Chelsea have also got... Yeah. I mean, we, we've all got the fixtures. Mm. Um, Man United aren't now in the FA Cup, so they've just got two prizes. Mm. We've all got the same. We're mm. all in two competitions. Yeah. Those of us that are competing for those yeah. those two places yeah. out of four teams. And Do you think it's big news for Arsenal then that so many English clubs are still in the Champions League? Oh yeah, it kind of levels it out, doesn't it? it? Kind of levels the playing field for everybody, you know. So um, yeah, it's 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 everyone's kind of um, on the same path, you know, on the same journey. So yeah, it, I'm I'm sure um, the other three teams have got. I think I think Man United still got two. They've still got Man City to play, haven't they? Yeah, they um, all have significantly yeah. tougher run. It's yeah. playing each other, yeah. playing Liverpool. Exactly, it's all a little bit. And those tricky. games are going to be have mental, psychological effects on those teams. Well, when, I mean Spurs. If you want to talk about psychology, and I'm not saying this to get at Spurs, <laughs> but that form is 
really quite poor at the point where it was one point from 12 you are looking that and thinking oh it's all going a bit wrong obviously they will have a massive boost when they come into that new stadium Mm -hmm. I think their form will improve at that point but in terms of Arsenal's hopes I think one point you made which is really really important is that the players are going to buy into whatever Emery does but as far as you're concerned what should he do is the solution for the run-in to be really proactive? Say, listen, I'm going to play Aubameyang, I'm going to play Lacazette, and I'm going to play Ertzil, I'm going to go to blow teams away and focus on the goal difference? Or does he need to be a little more reserved, a little more patient, and see games out? Good question. Um, I, again, I think he's just going to go by a game-by-game analysis uh, basis. I know it's an eight-game season, but I think he's going to go, you know, this team this week. See what happens there. Then go to the next team and go to the next team on from there. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think you should look at it with a broad brush and sort of like sort of manage, you know. Do you think that overcomplicates it? Do you yeah. think that's where the slip ups yeah. come? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, game by game yeah. for Arsenal. Next up in the Premier League, it's not for quite a while, but it's Newcastle. It is at home. Mm. It's a game that they will be absolutely expected to win. With that in mind, Mister Anyam, what do you think will happen? I need a score prediction. I think it'll be tight because Benitez is got he's quite a hard you know quite a hard guy to break down. I think it's going to be two one Arsenal. I'm going to go with a two one Arsenal victory. Two one Arsenal. Yeah. Good form continuing, <laughs> and a small matter of a Europa League tie against a certain Italian mm. giant. Fingers crossed for good form and perhaps even a new director of football. Pigs will fly. <laughs> Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. 